0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the ReLove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. So I was given the theme, God can when you make room. At first, I was like, when I was told this, uh, when Pastor JV contacted me in December, I was just like, okay, God can. Without us, with or without us, duh. Um, But we know there's more to that. We know that this theme, there's more to it than that. And on a month like Women's History Month, a time in which we celebrate... Women that have paved ways for people like myself to be in positions of leadership, of inspiring hope, um, it's it's important to acknowledge that. And so God can slash Women's History Month. Okay, I was just like thinking, how is this going to connect? So as I was thinking of the theme within the context, so many things came to my mind. Um, Because women have moved. Even when they were told to stand still, and we know this, right? When they were told not to speak, not only did they speak, but they also have roared. And whether they were believers in God or not, bear with me on this, whether they they were believers of God or not, I believe that the Spirit of God was still moving in them to cause uproar for the good of not only women, but also humanity. He's working now and paving ways for overall just people to continue thriving. So as I was thinking about this theme, I was like, well, we do really have an awesome God that can. We have an awesome God that can. And he's working. Not only, however, do we have a God that can do all things. We know that he can move with or without us. But with this theme is that he is inviting us to be a part of that movement. He is inviting us to move along with him. God can when we make room. We have a God that can do all things, yet he wants to collaborate with us. We have a collaborative God. He wants us to work with him and wants us to abide in him as we move along in our journey. And isn't that pretty neat? We get to be a part of it. It's not just a God that's like, well, I can do it for you, that's that. It's like, no. Come with me. Go on this journey with me. I named my sermon. I was like thinking, like, okay, what do I name it? God can when you make room, so go and let go. And I want us to turn our focus to the book of Matthew. I know last week you were in the book of Luke, so this week we're looking at one of the other synoptic gospels, Matthew 5. And I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this chapter because it includes... Um, it includes a Sermon on the Mount on the Mount. It includes the Beatitudes. It includes uh, well-known phrases from Jesus. And here Jesus is speaking to a mixed multitude, particularly, I, I would say the majority of them were from the Jewish descent. Here he says, "Blessed are the poor, blessed are the people who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for they will see God." The Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, light of the world. Be the light, such as I, Jesus, am the light. Here, Jesus then continues to break down his teachings and the teachings that were given by the prophets of old. And it tells them, just because you see me do things differently, Does not mean I'm doing away with the law. That was a main concern for a lot of people there. Here, Jesus was causing an uproar with his actions, and he just wanted to make it clear. And he wanted to acknowledge, I know the scriptures. So let me let me just break it down for you even, even more. I am not doing away with the law. I'm here to fulfill them. I'm here to demonstrate their true. Purpose. And I love how it begins with verse 21. That's going to be our focus. Verse 21 through 26. You have heard it said, dot, dot, but I tell you. I, Jesus, am wanting you to rethink what you know and were taught in order for you to really, in order for you to really get to know me. See, throughout your history on earth, you may have probably, you may have misinterpreted me. But if you know the law, if you really want to know the law, you'll know me. And if you know me, you'll see the law in its true form and colors. You'll see me. And so we're going to continue on looking at the next few verses, if you join me. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is a word of reproach, meaning empty or ignorant, a Hebrew word that uh, the Hebrew writers um, borrow from the Aramaic language. Jesus basically uses it here as a strong term for mockery, or again, fool is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift." Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. At first glance, this may be, this can be a little bit bewildering. Uh, You shall not murder is one of the commandments I believe that is taken the most Seriously? I mean, let's be real. I, I think I think that's kind of valid compared to the other nine. We have to be real, we're human here. We are people who value life. And here Jesus adds on to this. Okay, you shall not murder, but let me just let me just push it a little more. Yes, a life is valuable, but so is inner peace. So is your emotional stability, so is your soul. So allow me, allow me to elaborate a little bit more. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will face judgment. And yes, the rest sounds pretty scary from what we've read. It's a little alarming. However, let's look closer at verses 23 and 24. I believe that's the key. That's the key. These are the key texts to this passage that we're looking at today. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You shall not murder. Don't murder. But also, don't be angry. Therefore, if you are angry and are offering a sacrifice, well, go and be reconciled with them first. Leave. Let the anger go. And come back. Basically here, your sacrifice, your worship, will not be received, will not be accepted. In reality, you can go ahead, present your animal, watch it burn, go back to your life, but it will not be fully embraced because you will not be fully consecrated here. If any type of sacrifice was to be embraced, there must have been confession and reconciliation beforehand. And Jesus wanted to make this very, very clear to everybody, but especially I think to the religious leaders watching him all the time; those who are keepers of the word, the keepers of the law, those who followed and worshipped God to the dot. They were being called out here. They were truly being called out. That while yes, there was not an act of murder committed, I'm sure they also took that one very seriously. It was. It was. They valued life. They took it very seriously. But. Here Jesus was saying, you cannot um, put your worships on autopilot. They're not enough to subdue the issues that surround you and your fellow neighbor. He knows knows the situations that were going on with the religious leaders back in the day and the oppression that was going on. So he was just letting them know. Good for you that you're following this, but also this. Let me just tell you, Jesus is saying, your sacrifice— Your act of worship here is not a substitute. Jesus holds now everyone, everyone listening to a much higher standard. In a way, Jesus says, don't substitute your unresolved issues with sacrifices and acts of worship. So go and let go first. I believe, I'm just going to say, I believe this goes to show that God not only values life, He's the one that created it, but also values the power in community, values the power in relationship, the power of relationship. Relationships are, in fact, the most intrinsic thing that we have, the most intrinsic thing that is to humankind, and perhaps the most difficult. Uh, I believe that uh, Earth would almost be perfect if it wasn't for people. (laughs) I mean, let's be real, right? I think, I think Earth would be good without us. It'd be great. But then we come into the mix, and, you know, the reality is um, that, you know, we create. When we do creativity and when we work together, it's almost perfect. It's so wonderful. But when we, all, when we distort, we know that it causes chaos. So when a death happens... We, we acknowledge it's devastating, right? We, we feel it. We, we, we mourn. We take our time to grieve it. But when a relationship hits the rocks, people tend to want to quickly forget and move on. It gets kind of awkward. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I've been there. I've been there. It's hella ox. Or perhaps for many, perhaps for many, it might be a little bit traumatizing ending that certain relationship. Maybe even perhaps triggering. When relationships die, they feel worse, because most of the time, closure is usually one-sided, or perhaps there is no closure at all. There is none. You know how it is. You know how it is. You probably had different situations with that. The smallest way to say is that there is a misunderstanding, and that perhaps again, from misunderstanding to perhaps a traumatic experience or a traumatic person, could bring forth anger that stays for a long, long time. And if we look closely at the word anger in verse 22, the Greek words used for anger here is, I'm probably going to butcher it, but I'm sorry, origestai, which is mixed with the word "thumos" and orge, which basically these words describe that it's, It's, it's as if, as a flame that quickly comes and goes like a dry, with a dry straw. Like picture a dry straw and fire and it just catches. But also the word, the two words combined means that this anger kind of just grows and stays fervent. Um, And it becomes a habit of life. And so there are people in our lives, um, you know, that that we may ask uh, to ourselves or ask people, why are they so angry all the time? That person perhaps has this type of anger that is long-lasting, that catches but also stays put, stays within. This anger that refuses to leave, that refuses to forget, and even seeks for vengeance, and I know I feel like I might be pressing on some buttons today. I mean, we're humans, we're, 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 we have our own issues, we have our own struggles, we have our own hurts, and we have our own pains. But I'm just, I'm just here to bring forth real talk. This anger, this long-lived anger, it is the anger of someone who nurses their wrath, to keeps it warm. It is an anger over which a person just marinates in and they will not allow to die. So that is the anger that is being referred to in this text. Um, my, my, My therapist one time highlighted also that anger is a signal when a boundary has been crossed. Anger is the surface feeling of something much stronger. Pain, sorrow, hurt, grief, you name it. And I can say for a fact, growing up, I can tell you that I, I was angry for a while, but little did I know that I had some of my boundaries crossed. I didn't know that. And maybe you grew up in a similar fashion. Maybe you have seen it with people around you uh, dealing with that. And again, you may ask yourself, why are these people so angry? Why are these people just constantly just so, so bitter? Anger may become hostile, and I want to make this very clear. Jesus is not condoning anger. That's not the point here. He's condoning what anger does in relationships when they're not resolved, when you're not dealing with the anger. And theologian N.T. Wright shares that every time you decide to let your anger smolder on the inside, you are becoming a little less than fully human you are deciding to belittle yourself. Of course, if you let your anger turn into foul and abusive language, sooner or later, you may find yourself in court, which is what we see in the following verses. Anger, if not addressed, may lead to perhaps an unwanted consequence. And I'm sure we can, we can name different situations in which that has happened. Maybe while Jesus was saying all of this, he is perhaps picturing someone um, that is heading to the temple courtyard with their animal, they're buying it and they're ready to go. And then all of a sudden remembering, oh yeah, there's some there's that person that I need to just yeah, let me let me let me just go back. Takes leaves their animal and then just goes. And eventually comes back. Jesus here insinuates that maybe communication, reconciliation, forgiveness, and overcoming are perhaps more important than the act than presenting a sacrifice at the altar. And I'm sure that the commandment, you shall not murder, I hope, I hope that that commandment now even, that now rings even more to your ears as you're getting this context. As you're getting what Jesus is really trying to say, Jesus says, worship, yes. Sacrifice, yes. But we must engage with our anger by letting go. Even when we are about to get our own worship on with our own, you know, praise. I want to acknowledge the praise team today. Like, when I was, I was getting ready to step on, on, on the pulpit, I was like, is the floor, like, Smoking, because because <laughs> there was ho- there was holy fire here. So thank you. But yeah, pretty much like like Jesus saying, yeah, worship, awesome, sacrifice, awesome. But please, you can't worship me fully when you have these situations or people that you're trying to disconnect with or trying to forget about. Please address this. And in the first century, uh, perhaps in the most sacred time of the year. Communication, relationships are more important than that. And so now, church, re-love church, my question is to you is, are you angry? I really hope not. Like I've mentioned before, anger is the gateway to a whole lot of resentment, fears, and unresolved boundaries that were crossed, perhaps now or beforehand. Is anyone angry at you? Did you grow up feeling angry? Were people angry at you in your past? Who is your brother? Who is your sister that you might have something to resolve with? Do they have anything against you? Or do you have anything against them? Do you have an aspect of your life that is still haunting you to this day? Yeah, I'm going to go there. Some of us still have skeletons in the closet. And that's reality. That's the world we live in. We still have pain that is so hard to let go. But maybe some of you came in here today wanting to forget about that certain argument, wanting to forget about that certain person, get into worship, and you're like, yeah, Jesus, let's do this. But I'm sure when you go outside, those images, those feelings, those memories, that situation, it's going to be there. And it's probably still in the back of your back of your mind right now. Believe me, I get it. I've been there. Those situations or people in your life that are connected to your anger that you may still carry. And like I said, anger is not the problem. It's, it's really not. It's what we do with it. Um, because we know that anger is like the surface feeling. There's so much more to that. There's so much more. I want to highlight a quote by... Um, by a homie of mine called Yoda that says, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. The last two, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Anger eventually will eat us up inside. Point being that anger, if not addressed, leads to more turmoil, inward and outward. When we see our world today, we can say that a lot of people are angry, right? And we sometimes question, sometimes question, I hope not all the time, we sometimes question, well, is there there something between me and God? Why can't I worship fully? Why can't I do this and that? Why can't he listen? Well, maybe you're the one holding that barrier with that certain situation, with that certain thing you haven't had closure with. Think about that I get it it's difficult it's difficult because it, it's hard and it hurts. there's feelings of bitterness, resentment, and we carry it and our body, our broken body demonstrates it with trauma, heartbreak, grief, all those five stages, we demonstrate it, if not address it all builds up and it shows through anger. according to research in psychology, uh, when we fail to face or go through large traumatic situations or relationship in our past, we can get stuck there. We're not able to move forward. Um, again, demonstrating anger and bitterness to those around us. And this is why so many of us struggle with our relationships. Uh, you guys probably know what I'm talking about. Um, Questions like, well, why can't I trust him? Why can't I trust her? Why did he play with my emotions? Why did she ghost me? Like, all of these things have to do with people's past. You guys know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And you know what, We, we think, we think, oh gosh, bear with me, we think that worshiping God is going to make it all better. And bear with me, I have a point. I know I'm stepping on major toes, I promise I have a point. I believe in the power of worship. I believe the power in corporate worship and what it does. I believe in the transformation that we engage in. I believe that the Spirit is still working in us, but I believe that what the text that we're looking at today is that relationships are crucial, is that God acknowledges that community is substantial for our worship. We're not alone in this. Jesus wants us to make peace with those around us first. Yes, we can worship God all we want, but wouldn't it be nice to worship him without anything holding us back? Without any people holding us back? Presenting our whole selves to God, knowing that we're just fully alive, fully free. Jesus here tells it tells them to go, make peace with your brother and sister, to let go of the anger, the pain, and resentment. Go and let it go. Go apologize to your friend. Reconcile with your family. Go work on that trauma you've been holding on for years. Go get closure, not for that person or for that situation, but for yourself. Settle matters and don't stop there. Go all the way, not only with forgiveness, but overall Self-healing. And it's going to take time. I wish I could say with a snap of a finger it's just gonna, it's just gonna go and you're gonna be ready. It's gonna be a process, it's gonna be a journey. But I believe it's worth the cost. Truly I tell you, verse 26, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is quite clear. We cannot be right with God until we are right with God men, until we are right with humankind. We cannot hope for forgiveness until we have confessed our sins and have received closure, not only to God, but to those around us. There's also a story of a woman in scripture, because I know Women's History Month, I have to go there. I don't know her name. No one does. But she's quite a leader and a role model for this act, found in John Chapter 4. You may know this story. Verse 13, I'm going to start with that. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now we know the rest of the scene. It's, it's quite a popular story, right? We know the rest of the scene. The woman goes on to discuss about worship. And the funny thing here is that Jesus chose to talk to a woman About the concept of worship. I just wanted to point that out, you know, to all the men and people in the room. Just, I wanted to point that out that Jesus is wanting to talk about worship with a woman here in scripture in the first century. Just wanted to highlight that. When Jesus breaks it to her that he is indeed the Messiah, we see there's a shift. When she recognizes it, she's like, oh wow, okay, this is the Messiah. We don't have too much of her reaction though. I I love. It's like a bittersweet thing about Scripture is that there's so many things in between the lines that, well, uh, we we can discern, we can imagine, that's fine. So bear with me on imagining here. If I were her, after that humbling conversation, after being called out and told my truth, I would have gotten on my knees and cried because someone called me out, but they saw me. They saw the hurt. They saw the pain. They saw me, they saw me kind of being defensive. But at the same time, I I opened myself up and not only showed him the anger, but also the hurt beyond that as well. Knowing that this person knew me and not of me, because a lot of people knew of that woman, but knew, 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 knew me. Knew the past, filled with mistakes, filled with resentment, resentment towards those people. The hurt. Being fully there and now being fully ready to worship. And so we see in verse 28, after the disciples discuss the situation, they're kind of awed themselves. Verse 28, it says, Then leaving her jar, water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Not only does she leave her jar, you know, because leave, come back, and goes, she comes back bringing others. She doesn't come alone. She acknowledges her past, confronts it, and is reconciled with her community. Her community sees, okay, she has a past, so do we let's come see this person that she acknowledges as the Messiah we're so intrigued all because she recognized for her need for worship her need for Jesus her need for healing for whatever she had she went and came back again the community was in awe and we can say we can say that she became one of the first female evangelists recorded in history Hello, Women's History Month. You know. <laughs> there you go. Um, and Jesus also demonstrates in scripture as well. I wanted to point that out. Jesus' death, I believe, is an act of true worship. And let me explain why. Yes, he gets frustrated with, with humanity. He gets angry. He flips tables. He gets angry, but, but, but in a way, he addresses it. He, he, he knows how to address with those feelings. He forgives Israel. He forgives the Romans. He forgives the Gentiles and asks even his father to forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing at the time of his crucifixion. He had a sense of closure with humanity as that was going on. Then says, Father, into my hands, into thy hands I command my spirit. This is my worship. I am letting go and I'm coming to you take my body as sacrifice and of worship not in anger but in pure love probably the most valuable reconciliation we could ever have in the lifetime in our lifetime with this text Jesus offers a solution make friends be a friend leave behind your resentments regrets mistakes then come back to me fully alive fully you fully mine. Jesus says, I do love you no matter what you've done or what you've gone through, but this, what you do, will benefit us as we move into a future and the unknown together. I don't have to say this again, but we have a world that's constantly changing, constantly going through different motions, and 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 it's hard. <laughs> it's hard because sometimes the past, as we're holding it, it could. The things that we're, we're facing could be a lot heavier than they than they really are. So go and let go. You'll face today and tomorrow with hope, faith, and love. God can when you make room. So go and let go. But don't forget to come back. Here. Jesus is saying, leave your offering as we look at verse 24. Leave your offering. Don't take it with you. Come back. Don't take it with you. It goes to show that he is not planning on rejecting your offering. Like he just wants you to be fully present with him. He is loving and is extremely patient. That's what we could also get from this text is that he'll wait. He'll wait for you to go address that. He wants you to come back. He is waiting for you and I to come back. And it's amazing that he knows. It's amazing that he knows that we're gonna come back. Doesn't matter the time, doesn't matter the place, the hour. He knows. He knows that we're gonna come back and that we're choosing to, to 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 do so and that he he also chooses to wait for us. Jesus here promises that while you live leave the offering, while you leave, while you go, your sense of worship is going nowhere. So your offering will be safely kept. It'll be by his side. Don't worry. Go do that. I'll be here, no matter what. Know that he embraces your worship, but he wants you to know, I want you fully present with me. Go address, be fully present. Let nothing hold you back. And so to end church, don't be afraid to go back and move forward with God. I know many of us have gone through something. Believe me, we live in an imperfect world, and so we've all gone through something. And Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows your story. Jesus knows that you may have things to address. And he knows that you're here wanting to worship. But he also says, I want you fully present. So go. Go. Leave your sense of worship here. I know you'll come back. I'm going to be waiting right here. Just know that you're not alone in this. And let me tell you, when you go address those issues and you come back the freedom you'll feel you'll feel so alive it'll be almost like you're a different person so go by all means go what are you waiting for? what's holding you back? again, whatever is holding you back let it go God can so go make room and let go then come back. Let's pray. Gracious God, this message um, is a powerful one. We know that you know our hearts, that we're so eager to worship you, and we're so eager to recognize you, and what you've done in our lives. But there's always something that may hold us back, some, maybe some things that we haven't even addressed in our lifetime, whether we're 10, whether we're 60, maybe there's something that's still still there. And so I ask that you move, that your spirit may move each and every person's heart here, that they may have the courage to go, to to address whatever situation, whatever person to receive closure for themselves and for them to be fully alive in worship with you. And let them know that you're waiting for them, that you're there with them on the journey. God, we love you never let us go. In your name we pray. Amen.